I was preaching out in California this past weekend, and the week before that, I was here in Scottsboro, and I came across a reference scripture, so I'm going to call it a referral, a referral. I came across a reference scripture in John chapter 12, where Jesus simply said, Father, glorify your name, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, I already have, and I'll do it again. He said, both, I've, both I've already have, and I'll do it again, and that's what this morning's message is. While I was out in California, we got into an incredible vein. It was uh, three services last Sunday, just a prophetic and a powerful time where God was touching and ministering. Matter of fact, they told me afterwards that uh, uh, one of the people came in late to church into a certain parking lot and found uh, three people in, in Satanist gear and with their pentagrams and trying to cast spells on the church. And, and they, just, they just mentioned something to them and they fled and they ran. Because we're submitted to God, resisting the devil, he has to flee from us. Amen. I just hope there's a good church on the other side of where they're running to, caught them and shared Jesus with them, amen, uh, out there. But listen, we're living in a, in a very uh, uh, upheaval time, just an incredible time, and we have to be carriers of revival. We must contend for revival. We're going to remain being a church. I've seen a lot of churches become revival centers and lose the touch of the local church, and they, they become more of an evangelistic uh, measure there and a revival center there. But we're going to be a church. We're going to lay hold of the vision that God has given us to plan a community in a community to help transform that community. We're not the only ones here. There's many people that are seeking and serving God and, and blessing our community, but I truly believe that God is going to build a special place in Scottsboro. I believe he's been at work and I believe it's going to be a pocket of mercy. I believe it's going to be a safe place. I believe that we're going to be in the truest sense of the word of God, a sanctuary city. I honestly believe that. I truly believe that if God can save Nineveh, he can save Scottsboro. Amen. I believe that God loves this city. I believe that God loves the people in this city. He loves every city, but he's just looking for people who will love him and he will work all things together for our good, for those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. And listen, he's given us a purpose in this community, amen? He's given us a purpose in this region here and we're gonna fulfill it as much as possible. Now, in the midst of all that, I was out in California, Hannah and I were out there and I just had a, I had a vision. I just had a vision. And that vision was a T-shirt. It was a T-shirt that said, do it again. That literally just said, do it again. While I was having that vision, I saw a sermon also to preach from it. And I really feel like the Lord spoke to me in that moment that if we wear revival, we carry revival. And then the Lord continued to speak, and I feel like he wants me to start a business because we're supposed to be about the Father's business. And that business is revival wears, W-E-A-R-S that we would create a product that people could wear revival. When I was talking to Pastor Jay and telling him about this, he said, that's pretty cool, do it again. He said, I wonder how many people say, do what again? Oh, what has he done to you? He can do it again to them. What doors will it open? When somebody says, what do you mean do it again? Oh, the time he healed my blind right eye? Oh, the time that he gave me my senses back? Oh, the time that he delivered it? You could go on down the list. And God already said, I did, and I will. Amen? So it's going to be Revival Wears, W-E-A-R-S, for Revival Wears, W-A-R-E-S. We are earthenwares. We are vessels of the Most High God, and we must be carriers of the presence of God. Amen? 
we must be carriers of the presence of God. So I want to encourage you to set those dates aside to get ready for that. I want to encourage you to get ready to be a revivalist, not just a survivalist. Okay? We're here to thrive, not survive. Amen? Listen, it's already pressing back in. Why do we need to contend for revival? Why do we need to activate our faith? Because the Delta variant and all the other things are starting to come again, and fear is starting to come back inside of people again. But we need to literally build faith. Our victory over the world is our faith. And we need to awaken our faith. We need a revival of the spirit, a revival of the soul, and a revival of the body. We need an absolute move of God, an awakening of God. And listen, the enemy is going to do everything he can to pounce us, uh, to drown us, to damage us, to, uh, to uh, thwart us, to fear us. We need to build faith. Amen? Father, I ask as we go into your word this morning that you would speak to us, that we would give ear to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And I ask this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you grab it, hold it in your hand, hold it up high, just like we did our communion, because this is the bread of life, and out of this flows rivers of living water, and the blood of Jesus Christ is found in the pages of this, right? And say this with me this morning. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can be who it says I can be. I'm going to be who it says I can be. It was written for me, for my correction, for my direction, and my soon coming resurrection. Come on now. Oh, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there the possibility that God has something to say to you out of this word, that he wants it to be according to your life, that he created you for, that he designed you for. I truly believe so. I truly believe that you are going to be somebody's message and somebody's hope and somebody's chance and somebody's opportunity. You're going to be the vessel of God to be able to be used by God to do what only God can do. He has always used people to reach people. That's just what he does. Matter of fact, he procreates people with people. Amen. People don't just appear. Uh, he, he uses people. That was the origination of God. And he said that we could have dominion on this earth. We could have dominion on this earth. But what we need is we need our spirit man revived. We need him restored. What Adam did is Adam gave rule over to the devil. Adam literally succumbed and he had his place, he had his authority, but they let the devil inside of them. They let the devil, they let the serpent, they let the liar, they let the deceiver come inside of them. And in that moment, in that moment, the devil became the ruler of the world, the prince of the air. He was given authority that was not his, but only one person could give it to him, and that was Adam. Adam wrongfully used his dominion, wrongfully used his authority, wrongly used what God had given him, and he allowed that to happen. And therefore, it's established what we know as a sin nature in our life. And friends, we need a God who can forgive sin. We need a God who can deliver us from sin. We need a God who can heal us from sin. We need a God, and there is only one God who can do that, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He's the only one. He is the only way. He is the truth. He is the life, and we can have abundant life through him. In his package deal, he doesn't just do something for you. He has something for you. He already did something for you at the cross. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. He forgave you. He made it possible for you, but then he holds over heaven. He has this holy 
Holy Spirit that he can give to you, the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of God. He can give you the witness of God inside of you. He can empower you. That's called life and abundant life, and that is what we desire that you would have. Today's text comes from the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter. John chapter 12, pick it up in verse 27. Verse 27. We'll just be going through to verse 32. It's an amazing thing. Last week, well, I'm as far reaching as you could possibly get from here. I'm on the. I'm in Orange County, California, in Costa Mesa, just a couple of miles away from the shoreline of the beach. There, I open up and I start to seek God. I start to call out to God, and He takes me to Matthew chapter eight. And I'm reading the chapter, and I'm reading what follows it. And when I get to chapter verse four, the Lord says, "Stop." I don't don't want you to preach any further this morning than verse four. I want you to preach chapter eight, chapter eight, verse one through verse four. And while that is occurring, way back over here in Scottsboro, Alabama, uh, there's a fiery branded preacher who is seeking God who preaches from Matthew chapter eight, verse one through four. Don't tell me God's not speaking here and there. Don't tell me God's not there and here. Don't tell me God's not bigger. He, listen, he can measure the span of the universe from his pinky to his thumb. God is bigger than the United States states of America. God is bigger than Jack Jones Lane. God is bigger than Scottsboro, Alabama. God is able and his hand is reached over the church. We're both preaching on the hand of God, which brings the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, he's over. I used to see a pinata over the church when we break open the gifts and come, but now I see the hand of God is extended over the church, which brings the kingdom of God, which brings the power of God, which brings the authority of God, which allows the possibilities of God. I'm telling you, God is real. I'm telling you, God is alive. I'm telling you, God is present right now. And you ought to get up off your laurels and you ought to call out to heaven with one good praise for just a moment and ask him to open the heavens over your life and ask him to touch you one good time and allow the power of God to manifest in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 27. If you couldn't hear what I was saying in the midst of that, I was saying you ought to ask God to open the heavens. Listen. He comes in praise. When you praise him, he inhabits the praises. Listen to me. The praises of his people. Listen to me, teenagers. I'm having a vision right now. Some of you sliding away from the common in your life and getting in your room and start to lift your hands and start to praise him. I didn't say turn on your Spotify. I, did, I said get the spot where he's justified you and start to worship him and start to praise him. And I'm here to tell you, he will inhabit the praises of his people. Not just the praises that go on at the Well Family Worship Center. He will come down and that hand of God will touch you, will mark you, will empower you, will extend to you, will impart to you that only the kingdom of heaven can give you. A man can only receive that which he gets from heaven. And only good things come from heaven. And the father in whom there is no variableness. Our God is a good, good God. He's a good, good father. And he can do gooder and gooder and gooder in your life. And things are about to get better. Amen. Verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. Now, my soul is troubled. These are the very words of Jesus. He said, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Let's look at just this verse for a moment. You have the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You have the only begotten Son of God. You have Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he states a very pure statement by being very vulnerable. And he says, my soul is troubled. 
Friends, if in the day that we're living in right now, your soul isn't troubled, your soul is probably numb. Your soul is probably abused, or there's a very good possibility outside of these walls that your soul is evil, that your soul is scarred. I mean, when converse comes out, I'm going to burn every converse I have in my house. When they come out and think they can put the pentagram where Chuck Taylor's star used to be, something's gone wrong, friends. Something's not right. But listen to me. Jesus had a spirit, a soul, and a body. That is what we call a trichotomy. You and I are made up out of a trichotomy. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. We have a God who is a triune God. There's a trichotomy in the kingdom of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he is saying, my soul is troubled. What does the soul encase? What does the soul uh, represent in his life? The Greek word is suki, which is the word implies our mind, will, and desires, or our emotions. It is seen as our personal preferences, the choices we make, and the emotional responses to life situations. Have you ever noticed when you're angry, you respond one way? When you're happy, you respond another way? That is your soul. That is what's happened. Our soul needs to be saved. Our soul needs to be redeemed. Our soul needs to be submitted to the spirit of the living God. We need to surrender that. We have responsibility with our soul. Our body and our spirit will respond to what's going on inside of our soul. Our soul is reflected in our personality, in our personality. Your soul is the mind, will, and emotions. It is the part of man that it connects with God. That's why some people are angry at God. That's why some people are indifferent to God. That's why some people are overly emotional with God, because we connect with our soul, with God. But Jesus said, my soul is troubled. We're going to find out a few reasons why his soul is troubled. I could give you 1,001 reasons right now why our souls should be troubled. I'll tell you what, stopping three weeks ago or four weeks ago, not listening to news, changed my life. It's the best fast I've ever been on. Listen to you. It's not that I don't listen to news anymore. I just listen to the good news, which is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. If what I need to know will happen to me or happen around me. What I don't need to know is not happening uh, around me, it's happening somewhere else. So having this conversation, Jesus says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? His first response to his soul is what's gonna come out of my mouth? In other words, he, he's realizing he has a choice. He realizes in this moment that he's distressed or he's angry or he's frustrated or he's uncertain or he's, there's confusion going around, whatever's happening here. His first response is, what comes out of here? How many times have we had to backtrack where we started to stumble and fall or we started to drift away and we have to remember what we said and go, ooh, I should have never said that. Right? So he's given us an identification when your soul is troubled, when things are hard and difficult. Remember, the tongue is the rudder of your ship. It is time to learn to decree. It is time to learn to proclaim. It is time to learn to align yourselves up with the word, with your words. By the word, with the word. What we say connects us because our soul is what connects us with God. If it's what is meant to connect us with God, is it possible that it could connect us with the devil? You better bet you. You better believe it. Here is a conversation with one with God amongst other people. In the garden was a conversation. The only thing void and missing was God. But the serpent was there and they conversed with one another. What shall we say? 
He said, what shall I say? What shall I pray? What shall I declare? What shall I talk about? What should I say about the matter? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? And that's the question he asked. He said, Father, save me from this. Should that be my response right now? Get me out of here. Help. Hurry up and come back. He's saying, is that what I should say right now? Should that even be my prayer? Should that even be my mindset? I just want out of here. I, I want to be saved from here. I don't want to be in this difficult, harsh, and troubling situation. Save me. It's kind of the mindset the majority of the church has grabbed hold of. I just can't wait till he comes back. I'm just going to hold on until he comes back. That was not the mindset of Jesus. And the word of God says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're learning the mind. We're learning the soul. We're learning the emotions of Jesus and how to handle our emotions. He says this. He says, Father, save me from this hour. He says, but for this purpose, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Uh, so Jesus is getting ready to adjust. He's, he's processing out. No, it, it is not to be saved from this. It is, there's a purpose in this. So often we just want out of here. So often we just want, like Alexa said, peace out. We just want to be gone from this place. But the reality is you and I are in this hour, this troubling hour, and there's a God purpose. And just like David, King David, served God's purposes in his generation, I ask you to enlist with me that we serve the purposes of God. I ask you this question, what have you done this week to advance the kingdom of God? I ask you this question, what have you done this week to advance and to bring forth and develop and bring about revival in your neighborhood, in your community, in your family? We need to be thinking this way. What is my purpose? What is the purpose in all of this? Friends, we carry the answer. We carry the hope. We carry the remedy. We carry uh, the, the end result of all things. The church has a purpose. We have a purpose. Can I get an amen? amen. Jesus said, no. He said, no. He said, I, I shouldn't pray, save me from this. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. But for this purpose, this is what I was born for, is what he was saying. This is why he sent me. I wonder those 4,000 years prior to Jesus coming, what it was like in heaven saying, when are you going to do it? When, when, when do I get to go do the thing? And then he gets down there, it's just 33 and a half years. And he hits this moment here. He goes, ah. Oh, this is it. This is my moment. This is my opportunity. This is more than my Olympic opportunity. Uh, this is more than my graduated opportunity. This is more than my retirement opportunity. This is more than my opportunity to be a dad or to be a mother. We have a lot of opportunities in our life, but in those moments, we need to have the mindset, God has a purpose. And this is why I am here. I've said this numerous times, and I'm sure I've said it here. But if you and I, when we make that eternal arrival to that eternal kingdom, that land called heaven, that we're separated from here, and we're going to spend millions and zillions of years at the feet of Jesus, and no matter where you go up there, he will be there. You'll see him. But the reality is you're going to look around and you're going to see people like Moses, yeah. Elijah, Elisha. 
Uh, you're going to see Isaiah. You're going to see Mary. You're going to see uh, uh, Esther. You're going to see a lot of incredible biblical characters who we've studied their life and we gain great insight and, and knowledge from and inspiration from. And I don't know about you, but there's a few of them that have some unanswered questions about their lives. It's like it just stops one chapter and goes on like, well, where, what did you do after that? And what was it like? I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people that are going to be in heaven that I'm going to ask them a few questions. A lot of people. And perhaps there is for you also. And I want to ask them a question, but I feel like the, 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 it's going to change. It's going to turn around. And I feel like they're going to say, no, 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 no. And I'm going to see this excitement in them. And they're going to say, Ed, Tina, you tell me. What was it like to live in the days I prophesied? What was it like to live in the days that my blood cried out for for years? What was it like? John the Revelator is going to be like, what was it like, man? My revelation. I just know there must have been more. I know there had to be a. Well, I had perfect attendance in Sunday school one year. Straight rule of golden stars. What are we going to tell them? Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. What are we going to tell them? Well, I was in a really bad time and I cried out, save me. Well, what happened to the people there? Well, I don't know. I got raptured out. I, I got... What story are we going to have to say? What story? I was born for this. This is why I'm living this hour. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is coming to the conclusion there. For such a time as this. This, this is the moment. This is the, the hour. Matter of fact, this is why Jesus, this is the purpose. Just, I'm just going to give you a, a skinny version of the purpose of Jesus. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Let me just ask you a question. If that's his purpose, I think our purpose should align with his purpose. I'm going to ask you something. Is your life believable? Is the life of this church believable? That whosoever believes in him should not perish. Is what you say believable? Is what you do believable? Even his unbelievable became believable. And whatever somebody would believe of him, they would become as him. He said that God sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do we realize we are the, the renewal of Jesus, sons of God here on earth, that through us people should be getting saved. People should have eternal rewards and opportunities through our lives. But then it goes on to say in verse 17 that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but he came that the world might be saved. Is our mindset condemning or saving, delivering and freeing? That was the purpose of Jesus. That's one of the purposes of Jesus. Another purpose of Jesus is his mindset was, I didn't come here to be served. And he said, but to serve. But not just to serve, but to give my life a ransom for many. I want to ask you, listen to me, church. Do we have a believable life? Are we serving our neighbors? Not just praying for them, but serving them. Are we not just serving them, but giving our life as a ransom?
You see, death works in us so that life may work in others. There might be things we have to say no to that nobody else is saying no to. And while we're saying no to it, we're interceding for those who don't know to say no to it. We can be somebody's intercessor. Jesus, live this whole life down here. And the sacrificial life, this obedient life, all to graduate to being an intercessor. To just pray for others. So our victories... Our insurmountable amount of victories should give us an upper position of intercession for those who are in defeat. But if we still have the spirit of malice that we don't want somebody to do as good as us, we don't want somebody to achieve, something's not right in our hearts. But the purpose here is is that we would serve others and give our lives for others. One other aspect of the purpose of Jesus, the, the hour he lived for, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, just as Pastor Whalen was serving you communion, his purpose this morning His given responsibility this morning wasn't just to get that out of the way, but was to minister, administer the bread and the the juice to you, which represents the body and the blood. And while he was up there, he was doing his opportunity to share faith with you to destroy the works of the devil. Because some still have guilt. Some still have shame. Some still have disobedience. Some are still sinning. Some are still just going through this and that. But the blood can destroy that work. It can tear the power of it off of you. It can liberate you. It can can cause you to escape and to find freedom through Jesus Christ. That is our purpose as a church. That is, maybe you have a shut-in that lives next to you or close to you or somewhere in the proximity of you. And maybe, just maybe... You could take a little bit of juice and some unleavened bread and, and go sit down and have a conversation and say, you know, I had communion the other day and I thought about you. Or I tell you what, don't lie. Uh, say it this way. You know what? We had communion and the preacher preached about it and I thought about you. Uh, don't, don't, give him the full story. And the preacher said, maybe you have somebody like you in this neighborhood. And I just thought maybe you might need communion. Oh, you'll be amazed at how many shut-ins are not getting Usually when you're shut in, you're shut out. You're saying, can I do that? Absolutely, you can do that. You don't need somebody in a, in, in a, a black robe and a white collar or a white jacket and a black t-shirt to serve you communion. You're a child of the most high God. You're a royal priesthood. Could you imagine if all of us walked away and got with uh, uh, Pastor Jerry and just said, hey, is there any of that communion stuff left? Can I take some? Because I've got a few people I want to go to. What are you doing? You're fulfilling the purpose. As often as you do this, do this. Remember, you're bringing them to the remembrance of Jesus. You're loving your neighbor. You're caring for somebody. You're praying with one another. You might even have to forgive one another in the midst of it. Maybe it's somebody you have all with. Say, I just came to ask you to forgive me, and if asked if you'd take me with, but you're destroying the works of the devil. Amen. Verse 28, Jesus said, but for this hour I came. And in verse 28, he, he responds. Remember, this is all about what should I say right now? 
What should I say? What should come out of my mouth? My, my mouth, my soul is troubled. I'm living in a very distressed time. I'm between a rock and a hard place. He said, what should I say? And this is what he came up with. And it was so good they decided to put it in the Bible. He said, Father, glorify thy name. That's all he said. He said, Father, glorify your name. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer that ought to be being prayed. And it's a prayer that aligns us with our purpose. I'm here to say to you today, if you get anything like I got eclair cake out of the announcements, it works. I will have some somewhere. Application must be applied to get the supplication it's implying you can have. Watch this. You and I simply need to be praying, Father, glorify your name. That's what he's saying. When you're in a catch, you're in a difficulty, you're in the midst of temptations and trials and tribulations, you say, Father, glorify your name. I'm in this hour. What is your... To glorify means that he would renounce. It means that he would expand. It means that he would manifest. It means that he would magnify. It means that he would come on the scene. It means that the glory would come, the kabod would come, his presence would be there, that he would show up, and it would be all about him. He would own the situation. He would own it. That simple. Father, glorify your name. Not the wringing of hands and the, and, and the, and, and the, the, the crying out and just... Father, glorify your name. Listen, he has you right where you are right now so that you can call upon his name. He will answer you. He will respond to you. He will reply to you. And he will show you great and mighty things. When you don't know what to do, just go to the one you know who can do. When you say, Father, glorify your name, you're saying, I don't know what to do. I'm being humble here, but I know the one who can do all things, and he does all things well, and he does all things great, and he's never failed. He's he's undefeated. And you start to call him into that situation. The voice, then, this is a key word, then. Then. Everybody say the word then. Doesn't sound real big. We don't stop and think about it. But it, it literally could translate not until then. That moment was what allowed the connection of the succeeding answer that comes here. The succession of the conversation. It brings in the success of God. He said, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice, then a voice came from heaven. It's hell on earth. It's the same way of saying that the Lord's prayer has now been answered. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, just like it is in heaven. If you don't have heaven come to earth, it can't be on earth like it is in heaven. It's an invasion. It's an operation. It's a manifestation. God comes on the scene. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I've said this numerous times. I'll say it again and again. What you sow is what you reap. You want a thinking prayer? You might just consider the thoughts of God. But if you speak to God, you most likely will hear God speak to you. What you sow, you shall reap. 
a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. My translation is I have and I'll do it again. I will do it again. Now we're going to unpack that for just a few moments, but I'm here to tell you that is a promise from God. Uh, that, is, that is a commitment from God. That is a God statement. It doesn't matter how much the earth gets shook. It doesn't matter how much the heavens shake. His word will stand. And God has said it. God has had it written. God will do it again. I don't care what level of pestilence come. I don't care what levels of darkness show up. I'm here to tell you God is yet greater. God is yet mightier. God is yet more faithful. God is yet able. And he said he will do it again. Do what? He will glorify his name. He's not going to glorify the church without glorifying his name. But if a church will glorify his name, he'll bring the glory of God to a church. And there's no darkness. There's no demon in hell that can deal with, that can face or resist the glory of God. That is the manifested presence of the eternal one. He lives, he reigns, he abides, he dwells, he says, he does. Amen. To Come on, just praise him. Give him a praise in this moment. Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy are you, Lord. He said he'll do it again. The voice came from heaven. The voice came from heaven. A voice came from heaven to speak to Jesus. At the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry, a voice appeared to him. It was a voice that saved you. If you did not hear the voice of God, it's not in alignment with scripture. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. A lot of people responded to the knock, but never heard the voice. He said, if you will hear his voice and you'll open up the door and invite him in. He said, he'll come in and save you and fellowship with you. Amen. We need the voice of God. What that requires is surrender, submission, and a commitment. So he said he'll do it again. Do what again? Do what again? Now, I could, I could give you the, the small potato chip bag version of it, or I could give you the family pack. I'm going to give you the family pack. John chapter 11, verse 4. John chapter 11, verse 4. Friends, I cannot explain to you the fiery furnace that is burning inside of my soul, the inferno in there. I don't come up here to make a show. I don't always preach like this. I don't always teach like this, but God is stirring the hearts of men and women again. Friends, we need to be the head and not the tail. We need to be the victor and not defeated. Amen. Listen to me. In John chapter 11, verse 4. When Jesus heard that, this is just a chapter earlier, it ties into the story. When Jesus heard that, what did he hear? He heard that Lazarus was sick and Lazarus was dying. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. In other words, he didn't say, oh, don't worry. The gift of healing is coming. No, no, this is a very big situation. It's going to take the glory of God. He said, don't worry. His sickness is not unto death. The glory of God is even greater than sickness. The glory of, glory of God is greater than death. He said, no, this is so that God can be glorified. God's going to do something extraordinary. Listen to me. In every human crisis, therein lies a divine opportunity. The next time your soul is troubled, the next time you want to go to anger, go to passion. The next time 
time you want to go to pity, go to self-denial. I'm telling you, turn and talk the way that God talks, and you'll get the answers that only God can give. Amen? Jesus didn't give into it. He put into it. Are you with me? He didn't give up. He gave out. He had something to give to this situation. What you say, it declares the narrative of what's going to happen in your life. You need to learn how to not just sing about it, but to prophesy into your tomorrow. You need to prophesy into the generations of your children and your grandchildren because that spirit is for you, it's for them, it's for your children and your children's children and as many as are far off. We start to declare these kind of things, our children will get filled with the Holy Ghost. Our children will walk in the spirit of the living God. Our children will perform the miracles that only God can do through a supernatural encounter in relationship that is spiritually led by the power of the spirit of God. Jesus heard that. He said, this sickness is not in death. I mean, could you imagine driving down the road and you hear something on the news, you speak back to it. Speak back to it. But you must have a surrendered, submitted, and committed soul that is not justified. Well, I was angry and I said a bad word. Well, I was afraid and I, I, I spoke out of my fear, but, but now I'm finding faith. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know that theology, I know that teaching, I understand it, and that's great faith, and that's where most of the church is right now. We believe that we'll be resurrected, but we don't believe in the now. We're still believing in the future, but you don't know if that's true until you face it now. You're getting ready to find out whether your faith is real or not. If you just have a faith that in the future that's what it's going to be, but in the trouble and in the difficulties it doesn't stand, that's not grounded faith. She said, I know that it'll do it. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him. You know, I believe the last year we got caught off guard. I believe that something came that, 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 that the body of Christ wasn't fully ready for. This is what the Lord said to me. He said, live through it. Just live through it. Just live through it. Friends, to live, you got to live. Amen. And, and it challenged us in this last year to, to start wondering what we really believe and how much do we believe and, and how should we believe and what do we do with our belief and what can our belief do for us? I believe we're hitting another season in our life. I believe we've come to an hour and there'll be more hours in our life that that will be challenged in our life. But as Jesus said, do you believe this? Do you believe it in the now, in this moment? The scripture talks about, and I think Pastor Whalen referred to it even, now faith. Now faith. Listen to me, church. God is trying to reel us in a little bit. God is trying to sink it into us a little bit. We need a now faith. We need a right now faith. Not a tomorrow faith. Not a someday faith. If we want a God who's going to answer us, not with someday prayers, but same day prayers, we need a now faith. Amen? Should encourage us should absolutely encourage us. I don't know why I heard this in worship, and I'm hearing it again. Don't judge somebody else's worship. Saul's daughter, Michael, judged David. She had never seen anybody worship, stripping his clothes off, tearing them off and dancing 
just a, just a crazy dance before the Lord of joy and celebration that the presence of God was coming back to the church, to the people of God. Listen to me. We're going to experience the presence like we've never experienced it before. He's coming back, not just for, but to. You can't come back for something if you don't come to something. Amen. He's getting ready to restore his church. She said, yes, I believe. She said, yes, I believe. You are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You can destroy yokes. You're the son of God who has come into the world. You're the manifestation of God. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, remembered he's troubled, came to the tomb. Remember, he said later that my, my soul, my soul is troubled. Grief, sorrow, loss, pain. Perhaps after hearing Alexis's testimony, your soul was a bit troubled. Maybe it brought some memories back to some of you of things you went through, pains you experienced. Jesus is feeling the loss of his friend, the death of him. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, I almost wonder what's going through his mind is as he's facing this tomb, this cave, this stone, knowing that he has one coming. Think about that. You have dreams and promises. He read the scriptures. He knew he was going to be raised from the dead. He knew he was going to have to die. He's not just dealing with this stuff. He's dealing with this stuff. If you don't get, take care of what's going on inside of here and have authority over that, you'll never have authority of what's going on over here. He's greatly distressed and troubled, but it's all about what you say. It's how you speak to the situation. It's what comes out of your mouth. Father, glorify. He's already declared the glory of God. And then Jesus, again growing in himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and the stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. The sister of him who was dead said to him, Lord, by this time, there's a stench. Maybe you're in a dead season. Maybe you're in a season of loss. Maybe you're in a season of grief or despair. Maybe your soul is troubled. Maybe you're in a stinking situation. Maybe your marriage stinks. Maybe your finances stink. Maybe your attendance and activity in church stinks. Maybe you're withdrawn by something and overwhelmed by something. You can't be afraid to face it. Jesus speaks to it. She said, but by this time, by this time, there's a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Maybe you're sitting on a overdue or a past experience, and you're thinking, if I wouldn't have made this decision, or if I would have done that, or if I would have called on the name of the Lord there, maybe you're thinking it's too late. It's already passed you by. I thank God that he comes in stinking situations. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now, we know that story. The stones roll away. Jesus speaks and says, Lazarus, come forth. And sure enough, he comes out. She saw the glory of God. But now we're accelerated a little bit. That has happened in chapter 12, verse 9. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, 
but they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Is your life believable? Even though what happened was unbelievable? But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Oh, that also gives us the understanding that they had plotted to kill Jesus too. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Listen to me. If we allow God to do what only God can do, and we believe that God can do that, then God will do that. And that will be done, and many people will come to him because of what he's done in somebody else's life. It's that simple. That's the testimonies we're putting up in front of the church so that we can give God the opportunity to be glorified, to be magnified. But what I want to caution you here is what I gather from this here is be careful of religious and political plotting. They don't want you to have testimonies. They don't want you to experience miracles. They, they want to put to death even the things that God brought to life. They want to deny the power thereof. Be careful in the hour we live in. Jesus said, he said, listen, uh, they're going to hate you because they hated me. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So just man up. It's going to be that way. It's not all going to be peachy keen. So let's go back to our text and close this thing. In verse 29, therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered Others said, an angel has spoken to him. In other words, what we see here is even around Jesus, some people could not discern nor hear clearly the voice of God. He spoke clearly. Some only could not discern the voice of what was being said because their life was so filled with other things, was so garbled with so many other things, and because their language was nothing like his language, they could not interpret the dialect of God himself. And then we find someone said, oh, an angel spoke. They, they knew the words, they heard the words, but they couldn't discern it as the voice of the Father, but just angels. So there are still people amongst us who don't know God, who have not heard the voice of God, nor can discern the voice of God. Therefore, God anoints the church to be the voice of God so people can hear God and come to know God. Verse 30. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. In other words, when God said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus saying, listen, guys, you need to get this. He didn't say this for me. He's saying this for you. That's because he already knew to say, Father, glorify thy name, because he knew that's what worked. You and your testimony, you and your experience, you and your encounters with God, anything he's done for you, he can do it for them. Anything he's done before, he can do again. And anything he does now, he'll be able to do it again. Are you with me? It establishes. It creates an atmosphere for God to do something glorious. When I came out of outreach ministries right before I graduated, 
I didn't have any insurance. I didn't have any relationships. I was from Naples, Florida, and I came to uh, Alabama here, and, and something hit my eye. I remember I was mowing with a little push mower, and, and something came out and hit my eye, and, and my eye, day after day, got worse and worse, and the pain was excruciating, and, and got to where I could not see. It just The blurriness went down to where I could not see. Well, lo and behold, we had a doctor friend. Many of you in here know him or use him, and he's a great doctor, godly man. He's a pediatrician, Dr. Mike Powell, and that's where they took me. I'm 26 years old, buff with no scruff, sitting in a waiting room with children, babies, infants, and mothers. Can't see out of my right eye. Wish I couldn't see out of my left eye at that time. I don't know what was worse, the eye or the pride. Went back there. He looked it over, looked it over. Great doctor. Couldn't see anything. He said, I don't know. I, I don't see anything. I don't know what it is. He said, I'm sure I'll come out. We'll come. You know, we come. I'm, not, I'm not coming back. Not coming back. Went to church that weekend, maybe a week later. Could not see for a period of a week or so in my right eye. Sat down second row, probably about where Ed and Tina are sitting right now. And I found that we didn't know what it was back then. Just start to sway. Those are the waves of the glory of God. God started moving on my heart, convicting me. And I'd asked him numerous times to heal my eye. And the Lord put it in my heart and put it in my spirit. And my soul spoke this. Lord, I ask that you'd heal my spirit. Heal my spirit. There was something deeper going on inside of me. When I opened my eyes, I had perfect vision in both of my eyes. Matter of fact, the vision was so good. I went to get a, 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 a test, a medical test, uh, what do they call those things? Uh, physical. And I sat down and had many physicals in all the sports that I played growing up. Never had anybody say to me what this one said, but when they said it, it bore witness of that same spirit that did it. And she said, I, I don't know how to tell you this. She said, only less than 5% of people have perfect color vision. She said, and you have perfect color vision. I knew at that moment that my eyes were better than they were before they were even damaged. That's the God we serve. And listen to me. If he did it before, he can do it again. He can literally do it again. He can heal you this morning. He can save you this morning. He can restore you this morning. He can do it today. He can do it again. He can do it to the person that you're going to eat lunch with and the place you're going. He can do it again. Listen to what is happening. The word sake literally means, Jesus said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. And one translation didn't come for my sake. It came for your sake. The word sake literally means end purpose. This came for the, your end purpose. This voice has spoken for your end purpose and also for the purpose of the end that they need when that voice comes to you. The good advantage or enhancement of some entity. This was not spoken for Christ's sake, but for the sake of his followers. Now listen, those who believe, those who follow him and believe, signs, wonders, and miracles 
shall follow their life. Listen to me. Signs, wonders, and miracles. That's scripture. It's as written as God so loved the world. It should be that solid and that sure and that foundational in our lives. I remember years ago, we went in the 1996 Olympics. We worked with a ministry called Blood and Fire. And they decided instead of trying to reach the nations that, that all those walls they built to made Atlanta look so pretty, that on the other side where the projects were, where the poor were, is that we would go on the other side and we would serve the poor during the Olympics. And so we got back there serving them and ministering to them. And we took loaves of bread and, and, and food to their doors and knocked on the door. And I knocked on this one door. And, and when I knocked on the door, the mother came to the door and I said, here's some food and a little bit of relief, not much. I said, is there anything we can pray with you about? She says, oh, yeah. I said, my son, he's got a strange, rare case of leukemia. And when he stands up, he hemorrhages. He just starts to bleed, just like a, just like a, a, a spout coming out of his nostrils. Nine years old. He's laying lifeless on the couch. She said, I just brought him home. Uh, they said, there's nothing they can do for him at the hospital. So we went over and we started to pray. And I, if I could just describe the room to you for just a second, the carpet was so uh, old and so raunchy, it was this far away from the wall. It wasn't a rug, it was carpet. The sofa looked like a leather or a tiger, uh, like a lion or a tiger had tethered it and just scratched at it. It was the poorest, most wretched situation I'd seen. And I'm on my knees praying for him, and there's all these people watching him, and I'm praying, and, 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 and nothing's happening. And, and the Lord said, go lower. So I went to my face, and I laid on my face. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you're trying too hard. And I knew what he meant by that. I was worried about what the people were going to think if it didn't happen. Yeah. Let's be honest with you. That's what I was concerned about. And you'll be there too. But then the Lord spoke to me. He said, signs, wonders, and miracles follow those who believe. All you need to do right now, Greg, is believe. Yes. Remember what Jesus said to Martha? Come on. Do you believe this? Who opened this tomb? Who rolled the stone? Do you believe? I walked out. We went to more houses. The next day, we're having a big event out in the middle of a Capitol Homes project out there, feeding hot dogs and different things and playing games. And all of a sudden, a lady came up and grabbed me and grabbed the man that was with me that day and grabbed me. She said, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. She said, have you seen him? Have you seen him? I thought, oh, Lord, what has happened? She said, look, there he is. He's running from one side to another and playing no bleeding, no nosebleed, no hemorrhage, nothing whatsoever. He'll do it again. Uh, maybe you didn't hear me. He'll do it again. And maybe you didn't hear me. He'll do it again. This is what he does. This is who he is. It's what only he can do. Nobody else can do it. But it takes believers to believe God for all things, in all things. He can do all things. Amen. Now listen to me. You may not be standing right now, but I'll give you the right to call us when you need it. I'll give you the right to call upon God when you need it. He can do it again. I was standing in this parking lot some years ago. I gave an altar call. We had uh, uh, the bouncy games up and all the free stuff. And it was one of the Harvest Fest events. And I gave the altar call. This is a part of who we are. We shut everything down. I preached the gospel. The only time in all of my life that I know of to this day 
that I shared a gospel presentation, salvation message, that nobody not only did not respond to be saved, but nobody even responded to a lifting of hand to recommit their life to Christ. I was, I was dejected. I was deflated. I was discouraged. Right here in this parking lot. Right about where the tent is right now and the vehicle's over there. I went to the side and I stood there and I was looking at that stage and contemplating, just wondering. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, they may have taken the wind out of your sails, but they cannot take the breath out of your God. He said, I will blow again. I will blow again. Friends, we're going to contend for revival. We're going to contend for a move of God and for an awakening that comes from only God. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who is the ruler of this world? The devil, Satan, the prince of the air. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the gospel, light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Friends, listen to me. There are people who are blinded. There are people who don't believe. There are people who believe some things we believe and don't believe all the things that they should believe. But listen to me. What it's going to take is the light of the glory of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to take the glory, the brilliance of God to come and to heal those blind eyes, to come and to awaken them and deliver them from the snares of doubt and deception. It's going to take the glory of God for this harvest to come to pass. Jesus said this. Everybody can stand if you would, please. He said, and I, he said, and I, If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. So what is he saying there? If I be lifted up, there's two ways he can be lifted up. Through the resurrection, that has been accomplished. Our praises raise him. Our praises, our testimonies exalt him. They glorify him and magnify him. Listen to me. We can put into the glory bank so we have something to draw from when we need it. When we start to glorify God, when we start to praise God, we start to exalt God. Listen to me. You don't have to act like everybody's acting, but when it comes on you, here's the point. What you sow, you're going to reap. You sow glory, we're going to reap glory. Amen. That's why we praise him with all of our hearts. That's why we celebrate because we want to see the glory come. This last verse, if I'm lifted up and draw all peoples to myself, it, it, it relates to revival, awakening, and harvest. That's what we want to see. That's what we need to see. That's what we're going to see. Now, here's the last kicker. When he said that to Jesus, and Jesus said that to them, he said, he didn't say this for my sake. He said it for your sake. It was like there was a passing of the baton. There's like a, a passing of the key ring. There's a passing of the provisionals. There is an inheritance that came upon the people of God. There's an opportunity that came upon them. And he is literally saying this to you personally and to us corporately. We'll never have it corporately if we don't have it individually. Watch this. What happened in Jesus' life can happen again in your life. What happened in Jesus' life can happen again. You have been inherited. You have been uh, excuse me, adopted. You've received an inheritance. He's literally saying, I can do it again through you. Amen.